The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Good morning, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers who are in the house, and anybody else I may have missed, to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina. Actually, I'm coming live, <laughs> doing it live. But we are pre-recording the show, so the phone lines are not open. I'm also the editor at SonsLibertyMedia.com. And for Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here this morning. And if you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsOfLibertyRadio.com and also SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio, you can scroll down uh, on the site. And right here on the right side of the page, you'll be able to pick up the live video feed at the time that we're, we're producing that. That's the second video down. The one above that is Bradley. Uh, the, you'll see his radio show from the previous day. And you'll see him live at 3 p.m. Eastern if you go to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. If you're using a mobile device, you'll need one that shows you a desktop version like a Google Chrome or something like that. And you'll be able to see that right side of the page. Otherwise, you get the mobile version, which doesn't show that. Also, while you're there, be sure to subscribe to our newsletter. We don't rent your email, spam it, sell it, or anything like that. You get one email a day from us. You get all of the articles that we put out that day, including mine, Bradley's, and our other contributors that we have. And uh, that's a way you can help support us by getting that, along with the archive of the show. Uh, I archive the morning radio show in video and podcast format along with any of the videos, documents, websites, or any of those kinds of things that we mention so that you can go back yourself and you can look at anything or pull from anything that you want to share uh, or anything like that you want to look into a little further. That'll be in that email if you sign up with SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. Also, if you agree with the message that we have and you want to help support us, we let you know our needs. We don't have our handout for money, uh, but we do let you know it costs money to produce the website, to do the radio show, and also to go across the country, Bradley does, to share the truth of our Christian and constitutional heritage. There's a donate button at the top of sonslibertymedia.com. If you'll click that, you can make a one-time donation, or you can partner with us and become a son or daughter of liberty. There's a button there also at the top of sonslibertymedia.com for that. And then finally, we have a store. If you'd like to pick up T-shirts, hats, coffee mugs, uh, books, and all kinds of other things in the store, they make great conversation starters. They make great gifts. 
And some of the stuff is there just to help equip you. Some of the books that we have, some of the DVDs that we have is to help to equip you for the work of the ministry. You can pick that up in the store and it helps support us as well. Now, let me finish with a couple of formalities and I'm going to bring in our guest. If you want to also catch other places where we're sending out this live, this video feed, uh, where you can see the radio show for yourself and you're on other platforms, Twitter, go to FPP Tim on Twitter, Periscope and Twitch. You can go to setting brush fires, Facebook, Bradley Dean, SOL, our YouTube channel. We're not streaming to that right now, simply because they've done killed two channels. We're on our second strike on the third, on the third one. And uh, Bradley, we're, we're trying to move over to rumble. So if you want to join us on rumble, it's not live. We put up the show after that, but you can go to, you can find us on sons of Liberty radio live on rumble. And uh, you can catch both radio shows there after they're done. Usually takes about an hour or something like that for us to upload them there. You can catch us on Rumble. Also, we're on BeforeIt'sNews.com, front page there. DLive.TV at The Sons of Liberty and Cutting Edge TV on Roku. Now, with that said, let me give a proper introduction here. Ray Comfort is the founder and CEO of Living Waters, is the best-selling author of more than 90 books, including How to Know God Exists and the Evidence Bible. He co-hosts the award-winning television program Way of the Master, airing in every country in the world, and is the executive producer of 180, Evolution vs. God, Audacity, and other films. He's married to Sue, has three grown children, and hasn't left the house without gospel tracks for decades. And with that said, I just want to welcome Ray Comfort to the Sons of Liberty. Welcome, man. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate being on. Yeah. Now, one of the things that struck me this this week, uh, the week that I'm in that we're pre-recording here, is I said, you know, when I became a Christian more than two decades ago, one of the things I had was I had a lot of pastor friends, and we used to go to these. They they took me to these things early on. It was called, um, I think it was called Bailey Smith's Real Evangelism. Maybe you remember that. Maybe you don't. I don't know. But I went there as a young Christian, and I had been converted, and uh, you were giving a message called Hell's Best Kept Secret. And I don't know if some people even remember that now, but this week I was just reminded, there's some people that we need to revisit some of that with, because your message continues to this day to be that very message that you gave so many years ago. In fact, I had the whole complete set on audio cassette for you young kids that's that thing that we had to put the pencil in when it got pulled into the tape player uh i had the several messages that you had on that on cassette that i listened to and i was struck because there weren't a lot of preachers who went to the law now they it's not that they knew it but they didn't go to the law and hold the law up to people to draw them to christ a lot of preachers were holding up you know, God can fix your broken heart. You know, he can do all this kind of stuff. But they really weren't showing people the seriousness, the serious nature of their predicament. You were one of those guys. And uh, if you wouldn't mind, if you want to elaborate a little bit about yourself, that's fine. And then go into the fact of how did you come up with this thing for Hell's Best Kept Secret? And why was that so important for you to get out in the format you did? Yeah, a little bit about myself. Um I was born twice in New Zealand, um, got a slight accent, been living in uh, Southern California for 32 years, which is like totally rad, dude. I uh, love it in California. <laughs> Today it's down to 59 degrees and I'm freezing, uh, but it's great to see what you're breathing and to also wake up in the morning and hear the birds coughing. 
I've <laughs> uh, been teaching Christians how to share their faith for uh, about 35 years, but I discovered this teaching called Hell's Best Kept Secret back in 1982. I was suffering from the disease of what I called evangelical frustration. I knew that between 80 and 90% of those making decisions for Christ under the sound of modern evangelism were falling away from the faith. And I thought, 80 to 90, if you lose like 80 to 90% of the fish out of your net, you've got to check your net, see if the, <laughs> the fish can away. And so I remember one afternoon I was in my office as an associate pastor and I read a portion of sermon by Charles Spurgeon. He said something like this. What will you do when the law comes in terror, when the trumpet of the archangel shall tear you from your grave, when the eyes of God shall burn their way into your guilty soul, when the book shall be opened and all your sin and shame shall be punished? How could you stand against an angry law in that day? And I thought, well, that's a little different from God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And, yep. and I just tucked it into my memory banks. And about two days later, I was about 100 miles from my home at a church preparing for a message. And I, I came across Galatians 3.24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And I read it incorrectly subconsciously. I read it as this, wherefore the law was Israel's schoolmaster to bring them to Christ. And I thought, it doesn't say Israel, it says our and I said, I wonder if you can do what Spurgeon was doing and use the Ten Commandments, the moral law, as a schoolmaster to bring people to Christ. It was a very cold day, and uh, I went to these hot pools and sat in a hot pool, and I prayed for the guy that was going to come next to me and sit down, and guy came down, big guy. And instead of telling him that Jesus fixed my problems and I was now living a life filled with roses, I shared about thorns and things like that. And I took him through the Ten Commandments, and I said, if you look at a woman and lust for her, Jesus said, you commit adultery in your heart. If you have lied, the Bible says all liars live their lake, uh, part in the lake of fire. Went through the commandments, talked about Judgment Day. Then I preached the cross, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. Amen. And this guy stood to his feet, and he had a, I remember he had a steaming body because it was very cold, and we are in these uh, thermal pools. And he looked at me, he says, I've never heard it put so clearly in all my life. And I thought, whoa, the schoolmaster just uh, taught him. Amen. He gained understanding. He received a knowledge of sin. So I started teaching that, and I thought, I'm going to be labeled a legalist, but just the opposite happened. I wasn't the only one suffering from evangelical frustration. There were multitudes right across the world who could see something was radically wrong, and they, they appreciated the cure. Amen. I And I appreciated the message, too. Even as a young Christian, uh, I listened to you. We never met each other, but you had an impact on me early on in uh, in my Christian life. In fact, when I was converted, that was what it was. I wasn't before a preacher at the time, uh, and some people have heard my testimony. But, uh, you know, I had been preached to all my life. My father was a Southern Baptist pastor, uh, people prayed over me. People gave me tracts and stuff. I couldn't bring myself as a as as a, uh, a a renegade degenerate to throw away gospel tracts. I felt like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm doing all this sin, violation of God's law, but I can't throw away these tracts. And uh, and I was so convicted over that. And then one night, God just really confronted me, and so it became so real that He was a holy God that that His law was like this mountain of fire. I think is. Uh, uh, Pilgrim's Progress puts it, and even as the Old Testament puts it, as um, Moses is getting the law, it, it's going to just crush me. I'm disintegrating. I'm like Isaiah and, and I, Isaiah chapter six, 
And I tried to physically get away from it because I was so petrified. And the only thing I could do was cry out to God for mercy. I, I know I'm going to die in my sins. Have mercy on me. I'll do whatever you want, I, whatever. And it was then that God took my heart of stone out and he gave me a heart of flesh. <clears throat> so I know what you're saying is the truth. And that's why you were one of the first preachers that resonated with me on that because you got to the issue of the law. The law convicts of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. That's the Holy Spirit's work through the law, that, that schoolmaster, and brings us to Christ. Let me give. A, let me take just a couple of minutes, if you'll indulge me. There was a video, and you do a lot of videos because you go down to Huntington Beach and other places, and you do this with people. You don't, you're not railing at them, but you're going to them, and you're drawing a crowd, and you're just asking them questions about the law, just like you, you pitched just now. One of them that was really struck me was this guy you may remember he was a heckler he had a big blue mohawk and i tried to find that video i wanted to use that as the example and i couldn't find it so i looked this afternoon so i i want to if you'll indulge me this runs about five or six minutes i want to show people exactly what you do and then we'll continue on in the interview but this is one where you take a young lady and a young man together and you give people sort of a demonstration of what it is that you do. This is Ray Comfort out in the public doing exactly what he said. Person? Yes. If you're a good person, I'm going to give you $5, okay? If you're not, I'll give you $5. You're being a good sport. I like it. All I want from you is honesty. Can you be honest? Yes, I can. Can you be loud? Yes. How many lies have you told in your life? Plenty. Five. Five. What do you call somebody who's told five lies? I told somebody they look nice. That's not a lie. Were they ugly? Yes. <laughs> was it your mother? No. Who was it? It's my best friend. Oh. Does five cents count? Of course. Yes. It doesn't matter how much you steal. If you open my wallet and take out one dollar, you're as much a thief as you took out fifty dollars. Okay? What do you steal is irrelevant. So what do you call someone who steals things? A thief. So what are you? Probably a thief. No, you're not. You're a lying thief. <laughs> there you go. Have you ever used God's name in vain? No. OMG? No. Kind of, uh, rules you adhere to. Well, that's the rule. It's the third commandment. You should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That's the rule. Okay? Okay. No, you didn't know that? I did know that, but yeah. I don't... You don't take any notice of it? Not to those set of beliefs, no. That's right. Did you know ignorance of the law is no excuse tear down the street there are 70 miles now and a cop picks you up say I don't take any notice of your rules it doesn't make any difference awesome. and Jesus said if you look with lust commit adultery in the heart have you ever looked at a guy with lust <laughs> I'm a Honestly, no. 
Guilty. Heaven or hell? Hell. Now, does that concern you? Yes. Because I don't believe in heaven or hell. Okay, now you try that in a court of law. If you're found guilty of a serious crime, the judge says you've got an electric chair and say, oh, Judge, I don't believe in the electric chair. It doesn't change realities. You've got a conscience. You know right from wrong. It's a God-given, society-shaped conscience. But there is, like, a dichotomy here between what's considered reality, what I consider reality, and what you consider reality. So you think it's okay to lie? No. Steal? But I don't need anything to, any, any being to tell me that. That's exactly right, because God gave you a conscience. The Bible says God's given light to every single person. Now, Raven, you may not be concerned if you died today, you're going to hell, but I'm deeply concerned. I care about you. Well, that's very touching. I appreciate it. Now, do you know what God did for guilty sinners so we wouldn't have to go to hell? Any idea? No. Any idea? Send his son, Jesus Christ, down to save us. Now, do you understand the legal implications? Raymond, this is simple as this. I'll, I'll give it to you, and then you give me your thoughts, okay? Okay. You and I broke God's law, the moral law of the Ten Commandments. Jesus paid the fine. When he was on the cross, he cried out, It is finished! In other words, the debt has been paid. If you're in court, even though you're guilty, if someone pays the fine, the judge can let you go. can say, Raymond's guilty, but someone's paid a fine. She's out of here. And Raymond, God can let you go. He can forgive your sins, dismiss your case in an instant because of what Jesus did on the cross through his death and resurrection. He paid the fine in his life's blood. And now God offers you everlasting life as a free gift because he's rich in mercy. How old are you? I'm 18. When are you going to die? Whenever time happens. When do you think it will be? Probability says it would probably be like 70, 80 years. You know, everybody thinks like that. Guess how many people die every year? 54 million. You go watch your potty mouth because there are kids here. 54 million people die every year, and everybody's thinking, just like you, that I'm going to live to 70, 80. They die, a lot of people die young. Aneurysm in your sleep, car accident, cancer. So what we're talking about is more serious than a heart attack. So you've got a choice. You can continue in rebellion to the God that gave you life and every pleasure you've ever had, or turn and say, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Or let him change you and forgive you. I could do that. Now, are you an atheist? Yes, sir. Do you think I could prove God's existence to you scientifically in about two minutes? If you could, then I wouldn't be an atheist. Okay, let's see if we can stop you being an atheist. All I want from you is your honesty and you're reasonable with me, okay? Okay. Can you be reasonable? Yes. I'll be reasonable. You be reasonable. Okay. Okay? Could a book make itself from nothing? I'm talking about a color book from color photos with no. sequential page numbers and coherent sentences all through it, binding and a graphic cover. Could a book make itself from nothing? No. It's without the realm of possibility, isn't it? Yes. Do you know what DNA is? Yes. Scientists call it the book of life. Okay. Your DNA has coherent information on how to make your eyes, your skin, your personality, your blood, everything is in your DNA from the moment you can see. So what would you think of the mentality of somebody who believed a physical book could make itself? That they were disillusioned? That'd be crazy. However... Hang on, I hadn't finished. Okay. That'd be crazy. So what do you think of the mentality of someone who believes DNA made itself, an atheist? Somebody who believes a physical book could happen by chance is crazy. An atheist is super crazy on steroids. So I'm agnostic then. So you're not an atheist, are you? I guess not. If you died today and God gave you justice, you'd end up in hell. You've got to do two things to be saved. You've got to repent and trust in Christ. When are you going to do that? 
Now? You're not just kidding me, you're serious? What you're doing is laying down your life to the God who gave it to you. He gave you eyes, he gave you brain, taste buds, everything you've got came from God, and you walked with your back to him, now you turn to him and say, God forgive me. This is a big day for you if you're, if you're genuine, okay? It's when you got when you receive God's gift of everlasting life. Do you have a Bible at home? Yes. When'd you last read it? I forgot. Quite a while ago, okay? Yes. So please think about it, get right with God. You know how to do that? Just apologize to him and put your trust in him. Say, Lord, I give you my life, I'm gonna trust you from now on. And you'll find you'll have brand new desires within you so that you want to please him. Now you didn't earn the five dollars, but I'm gonna give it to you. You know why? Because I like you. That's all. And that's how God gives everlasting life. He loves us. And he grants his everlasting life because he's rich in mercy. Okay? Nice to meet Pleasure you. Pleasure debating. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. All right, uh, Ray, does that bring back some memories for you? Yeah, it certainly does. It's pre-COVID days when crowds could gather without <laughs> masks on. So I miss those days and long for them again. I, I go to Huntington Beach still every Saturday, but I do one-to-one because uh, it's it's better f- to put my energy into something like that because our YouTube channel's just passed 155 million views. Wow. And so it's uh, it's an exciting uh, avenue to have in these dark days that uh, a lot of unsafe people are watching our videos because they are fascinating. I mean, I was, I forgot about that one and I'm just fascinated like a fly on the wall, just seeing people's reactions and hearing them talk about intimate things about their fear of death and their love of life and their beliefs and their belief in God. There's so many people that don't think very deeply when it comes to atheism. It really is. Atheism is the epitome of stupidity. Well, I, you know, I had a, a gentleman who came in the chat one morning and uh, he said he was acting as though he was atheistic. And, you know, our foundation is on that. You know, I don't even I don't even do what you did. I think it was brilliant what you did. But I say, you know, I can't abandon my my foundation, which is the Bible. And Romans one tells me that all men know it's it, our founders said it was self-evident within us because the creator has given us they talked about certain rights but i think it's self-evident within us you point you pointed out the conscience and i told him i said i don't have to prove god exists to you you know it but paul says that you suppress that truth and unrighteousness because you don't want to honor god as god you want to honor yourself your mind your girlfriend a politician or whoever you want as the authority in your life rather than the god who made you and I, I watch this, and you know it, what's interesting is when the people laugh, when uh, you know the young lady said, "Well, well, everybody's going to be that way." Well, yeah, everybody is because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But I think people laugh to keep from trembling because they all know they're under the same judgment. Do you get that same sense when you go out and and you speak this way to other people? Yeah, a lot of people laugh when they say, uh, I'd end up in hell. <laughs> and it's a nervous laughter. It's a laughter that covers their uh, their fears. But yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing reaction. Yeah, and now this young man, I, I want to ask a question here, uh, you know, in all sincerity. Now, this young man said that, you know, he was willing to repent. He was willing to uh, turn from his sin. And you told him to trust God. And a lot of people say, um, you know, my trust in God is I ask Jesus in my heart, which I can't find anywhere in Scripture. Um, but, you know, Jesus takes people like Zacchaeus, uh, a, a guy who's been cheating his own countrymen, who's hated by his countrymen because he's cheating them for the Romans, and he goes to his house. 
And Zacchaeus, when he's there with Jesus, one of the things he says, if I've taken from anybody, and he knew he had taken from them, I'm going to pay back fourfold. And what's Jesus' response? I mean, Zacchaeus is, in essence, providing repentance. And he's doing it according to the law because the law said you should do that. And what does Jesus say? He says, today salvation has come to this house. I'm curious, this young man here, did you ever see him again? Or have, have there been people that you have presented this, this uh, the, the law scenario to lead them to Christ? Have you met them out here? They've said, yes, I want, I want Jesus. Maybe they were even openly broken about it. And you continue to see them. They continue to you continue to have contact. Have you had any people like that over the years uh, there at Huntington Beach? Yeah, we've uh, we've had people come up and be. I remember I was talking to an atheist at a local college, and he was he was a very very colorful guy, and uh, we he didn't make a decision or repent or ask Jesus into his heart. I just left it, you know, the law on him, preached the cross. And about a month later, he came running up to me at the college holding a Bible and saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And he says, thank you Amen. so much. And it was just an, I got that on camera too. So it is great. Some people say, do you follow these people up? Well, think of it for a minute. I'm a married man. Some girl makes a commitment to Christ. I can't follow her. I can't ask for a phone number or email address. It's just not ethically sound. So I commend them into the hands of a holy God. He's the one that saves. He's the one that keeps. He's able to keep them from falling and present them faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. No one will pluck them from his hand. But we do give them a little booklet called Save Yourself Some Pain, which is filled with Christian principles on, uh, you know, about fellowship and evangelism and faith, the importance of having faith in God. And so, uh, yeah, it is good to meet some people that, uh, that show fruit. That have, uh... And I got an email the other day. A guy says I approached him in the early 1980s. He said uh, it just shook him, and he said for 20 years he remembered every word that I said to him, and in 2004 he came to Christ, and he, he just put on my uh, on a YouTube channel, thank you for, for your faithfulness. So that was very encouraging to know that God honors his word. Uh, we don't think, we think 20 years is a long time, but for God that's just nothing. Uh, a thousand years is but a day to him, so uh, God's faithful if you just plant the seed. Yes, amen. Now, when you get stuff like that, do, does it come at a time maybe when you're discouraged? Maybe, you know, I've got another video, and I, I've got you for a short time, but I'm going to put it up in the archives. Now, this one is, and I'm just going to show you this one. This may bring back memories, too. Uh, I'm not going to play it, but I'm going to have it in the archives. This is the guy that you put up on your site, and you said, this guy turns the crowd against the preacher, Ray Comfort. And this guy was making all this stuff about all we need is love around us. And you were demonstrating from the law that this man didn't love his neighbors. He didn't love you. He didn't love the people because he was lying. And he admitted to his lies. He admitted to his lust. He admitted to his theft uh, and all of this. And people who I don't think people understand that when Jesus said, when he asked the guy who came to him, he said, what's the greatest commandment? And the guy says to love the Lord with the your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he goes, yes, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so the law is basically set aside in two things, and that is how we love God, how we love others. If we're if we're doing all the things in the first part of the table of the law, the first four things, then we're demonstrating a love for God. If we're if we're doing all the things in the last table of the law, the last six things, then we're demonstrating a love for our neighbor. So how do we 
we can't say we can't be like the Budweiser guys and say, "Hey, man, I love you. I love you." You know, we give that, but we don't demonstrate it. The Bible talks about our demonstration of love. First John three eighteen. How how many people have you run across where you're giving this message? They they try to offer, "I really love everybody," but when you bring the law to bear. It exposes the fact that they're lying not only to everybody else, but they're lying to themselves. Yeah, the Bible says every man will proclaim his own goodness. We think we're good because we measure ourselves by man's standards rather than God's. When we have the contrast of how much we'd love our neighbor, think of the Good Samaritan. We call him the Good Samaritan, but he wasn't good at all. He just merely did the basic requirements of the law and loving his neighbor as himself. He picked that man up, he bathed him, took him to an inn. He says, he spends anything, let me know, I'll pay his bill. That's loving your neighbor as yourself, and that's how we should love everybody. And as Christians, um, we show our love by sharing the gospel with people. I can't think of any greater love that you can show to uh, someone than to share the gospel with them because everybody is fearful of death. You know, uh, let me just share an analogy with you, if I may. Uh, I discovered something two years ago that was life-changing, and that is how to crack an egg. I've seen experts, cooking experts, do it wrong for years, and I was just blown away by this. You don't hit the shell on the edge of the frying pan. That's the wrong thing to do because God's put a membrane on the inside of the shell, and that membrane holds on to the shell. If you crack the membrane on the edge of the uh, frying pan, you break the membrane, you get a shell in your egg, and then you chomp into the shell about two minutes later and you eat an omelet. Not a pleasant experience. So God has made it so it will work if you do it by hitting it on a flat surface. When you hit the egg on a flat surface, the shell doesn't fall in the egg. I've been doing it for a couple of years, and it's really true. And so do it God's way. The sinner has a hard shell, and there's a way to crack the shell without causing offense, ending up being distasteful. You have a distasteful conversation, uh, uh, you, you leave with a bad taste in your mouth if you address the human intellect. You go up to someone and say, I'm going to prove God's existence to you. And I think it's da da And you appeal to his intellect. Don't do that. If you're going to do it, don't do it for too long. Do what Jesus did. Appeal to the conscience. Rich young ruler comes running to him, kneels down and says, good master, what shall I do and hear eternal life? Jesus said, there's none good but God. He addressed his understanding of the word good. And he says, you know the commandments. And he gave him five commandments plus a little extra one in there, which is very interesting. He said, you shall not lie, shall not steal. And he added, You shall not extort, which gives us insight as to how this rich young ruler got his riches. He was an extortionist, obviously, because Jesus brought that accusation. You shall not extort. And that's why he went away sorrowful, because he loved his money as God was his money. And so imitate Jesus. Crack the sinner's hard shell, and you'll find you can get right into the heart without offense. And that's what we do again and again on our YouTube channel. You see, atheists who are adamant and angry suddenly soften because their conscience is being addressed and the conscience bears witness. The thoughts are meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another, Romans 2 verse 15. And so you can have someone who's contentious, argumentative, but when you go to the conscience as Jesus did, you crack the hard shell because you're doing it God's way. Okay, now I'm going to start cracking my eggs uh, flat because I do the shell thing uh, on the frying pan and I have to pull that out. But you're exactly right. One of the things I found in dealing with uh, atheists when I used to run a YouTube channel at NiceInCouncil.com was I continually held to Romans 1. I know that you know there's a God. I'm not going to back away from that because I think as soon as we, as soon as Christians leave their foundation of the Scriptures, 
and they start engaging in that intellectual kind of talk. Not that we're not, not appealing to the mind, too, because the mind drives what goes into the conscience, what they're hearing. They can't unhear. And so I, when I would deal with them, I found over and over, if I held that line three or four times when they gave aggravation, I would say, why is it that you're angry with this God that you say doesn't exist? I, I find, Ray, those people would come back time, and this is numerous times that I had just in a chat, and I don't even like chat. But I found that they would say, God, you know, I lost this person, or the church did this to me, and I'm angry with God. It's almost like that film that came out called God's Not Dead. And I remember playing that for my family, and we got up, I'd never seen the film. We got to the point where, you know, this this big thing is where the, the kid's approaching the professor, and he's going he's gonna to ask him, why are you so angry with God? And before he got to that, I just paused it, and I told the kids, I said, I've had this conversation with atheists in chat and, and face-to-face. And I said, if you hold your ground, eventually they'll tell you why they're angry with God. And I said, to me, that's a good thing because they're at least being honest about the situation. And I think that's what you do when you come to the people. You're showing them, I just want you to be honest about the reality that we have here. You're pointing to this young lady. She says, well, that's your belief. And you go, no, that's the reality. And you, you keep pushing the thing. You don't think lying is good, but yet you said you've lied. You don't think lust is good, but you said you've lied. You don't think that stealing is good, but yet you say you, that is the, that is their reality too. It's not just ours, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it really isn't about the existence of God. It's about their love for pornography and sex with their gorgeous girlfriend. And uh, when you point it out, there's a great way to bring it up. And I've done it with a guy named Matt Delahunty in a, in a, in a debate. He's a, a well-known atheist. Just don't say you look at pornography. Ask the question, when did you last look at pornography? And that's a curveball because they don't expect it. And you'll find they say, oh, last night I was looking at pornography. So that's your problem. You don't want to find God for the same reason a thief doesn't want to find a policeman. You're running from God like Adam ran from God because Amen. of his sin. You want to cover them. And that's the essence of it because you're right. There's no such thing as an atheist. God has given light to every man. The invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. The heavens declare the glory of God. When we broke away from Britain, we didn't say to Britain, uh, do you mind if we leave? No, we declared we were leaving. Declaration of independence. And the heavens declare the glory of God. Every time anyone looks at the sky, the amazing blue sky and the beautiful, big, puffy white clouds, it's breathtakingly beautiful. And it just says there is a God. It's a painting that the painter has painted. And so we know God exists because of creation in the same way that we know a builder exists because of the building. Builder could have been dead for 300 years. But when we look at a building, we don't think the building made itself. We know there was a builder, even though we can't see him, hear him, touch him, taste him or smell him. Same with paintings. When we look at the painting, we know there was a painter, even if it had been dead 500 years. We know there was a painter because paintings don't paint themselves, and it's utterly scientifically impossible for nature to, to have created itself. There's one sentence I love saying to atheists, and you can see it in a, a, uh, one of our uh, videos called Crazy Bible. It's one of my favorites. Um, and atheists don't like it. You just say to them, so do you believe the scientific impossibility that nothing created everything, which is where the atheist defaults to? Either God created everything or nothing created everything. And they're not saying there was nothing that created everything in the beginning. It was nothing. And then creation came into being. They were saying nothing 
is the actual cause of all creation. Flowers, birds, trees, puppies, kittens, the seasons, fruits, the human eye, babies. All these things came because nothing created them. It's scientifically impossible. It is bordering on insanity, and it shows they've got something to hide. Uh, and the hiding is their love of sin. Men love darkness rather than light. Either way, they come to the light, lest their deeds be exposed. That's the simplicity of it. That's the issue. Amen. Well, it, when you do that, one of the things that uh, is lacking in our church, and maybe you would agree in the modern church today, at least here in America, I, I think in other places they're holding to it. I believe there are good, faithful men throughout America. They're never known. They're never famous. They're just faithfully preaching the Word of God in little areas of the country. And I do believe they carry the the, the true gospel. I really do believe they do that. But for for all intents and purposes, the modern church in America has become rich. They have need of nothing. We can go to Revelation uh, chapter 3 in the church of Laodicea, and, uh, and, and yet God says, you think, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase this so that I give sort, sort of a more vivid picture, not that I can paint that better than God, but you think you can see, but you really need salve for your eyes. And, and you think you're rich and you've got a, you have need of nothing, but you really, really need to come to me for gold that's been refined. It's like the modern church says we can take care of ourselves. We can uh, we can get laws to incorporate ourselves to protect ourselves instead of looking to the Lord Jesus Christ, who not only formed the church but gave Himself for it, and uh, it is the protector of the church. and And the church thinks they can do it on their own, and they they have a gospel that's watered down, like what you said. God has a plan for your life. Well, God had a plan for. You know, a lot of Christians through history, and that was to give their lives. Maybe it was being fed to the lions. Maybe it was being uh, tagged by our, our Scottish brothers, the Covenanters, who were, you know, hung and drawn and quartered and all those kinds of things. Maybe that's God's plan for you. How do you like that plan? Are you willing to go down that road? Is that something you're seeing that can—I mean, I see it. I'm sure you see it. But how many people are turning back to the old paths, the, this coming to— present the law as a schoolmaster to drive them. The thing that they say they want to do for people, to help them to come into the kingdom, to glorify God with the gospel. How many preachers are you seeing actually turning? They're hearing that message and saying, that's what's missing. How many pre- Are you seeing preachers begin to do that? Or are you seeing them continue in, their, in, the, in the way that they're going? Well, I'm very encouraged when pastors do do that. We've received a, nothing but encouragement from so many people. You know, I've got a flaw in my character. I'm not alone. I think most males are just like me. If I get an appliance, I've got a habit of setting aside the instruction book and just trying to put it together myself because they're usually in Korean or some other uh, language that uh, translate into English. They don't make sense. And, and so and it's tiny little writing in the instruction book. So I just toss it aside and I put it together myself and I end up in a mess. Then I go to the instruction book to see what I did wrong. And that's how a lot of people treat the Bible. The Bible is God's instruction book to humanity, and the world is in a mess because it's tossed aside the instruction book. It knows better. Um, And shame when Christians do that. You know, when I talk about the law being a schoolmaster to bring people to Christ, it's biblical. Jesus used it, the rich young ruler. We see it again and again. The Sermon on the Mount was Jesus expounding the law and making it honorable. He was saying, uh, if, you, if you look at a woman and lust for her, you commit adultery in the heart. And then Paul in Romans chapter 2 says, you who say you shall not steal, do you steal? He's using the commandments. You who say you shall not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? And really, we're called to be like the uh, 
prophet Nathan when David had committed adultery. He looked at Bathsheba, took her for himself, and then he violated all the Ten Commandments. He coveted his neighbor's wife, uh, lived a lie, stole his neighbor's wife, committed adultery, committed murder, and dishonored God. So all the commandments were skittled. So what did Nathan do when God commissioned him to reprove the king? He didn't say, boy, this is kind of scary. The king could have me stoned to death. No, he feared God. He didn't talk about a wonderful plan or something missing in David's life. Gave an analogy about a little lamb that had been stolen by a man and a pet lamb. And David became indignant. And he said, that man will restore fourfold and he'll die. And then Nathan said, you're the man. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord? And then David said, I've sinned against God. And then came the gospel. Nevertheless, you shall not die, for God has put away your sin. And then we see the penitent psalm of Psalm 51, where David says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That's what the sinner needs. He needs little Nathans coming to him and saying, You're the man. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord? God's holding you responsible. Then we give them the gospel, and then we see the true penitent saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I have sinned against you and you alone. Those converts put their hand to the plow and don't look back because they're fit for the kingdom. That's what we need to see happen within the contemporary church. We've lost the fear of God. Yes. That's what the problem is. Well, I, I appreciate you putting it that way. Now, when I go back to, because I, I'm thinking of this thing of reviving Hell's Best Kept Secret, why would you say that this idea of preaching the law to the gospel, which has been historically what the church has done, at least good faithful preachers have done all throughout history, and even into the Old Testament, and, and we know the church exists in the Old Testament. Stephen says in Acts chapter 7, the church in the wilderness. So we, this is not something that happened in the New Testament. This has always been the way it is. You mentioned David to, uh, Nathan to David. Why would you say this is hell's best kept secret? I mean, what are some examples of why you would, you would use a title like that? Because I want people to understand, are they getting a real gospel? Well, or are they getting me, something you're frozen, space? but I'm going to tell you. I'm okay. just going to ta- start talking. Um, When we came up with the title, Hell's Best Kept Secret used to be called, the book was called Poured Out for a Thirsty World. Um, We've had a a glitch here, and we're frozen up as well. Um, I don't know what's going on or why we're losing that. Maybe it's the connection that we have. Um, And Ray's frozen now, not me. Here we go. Okay, Ray, you were frozen up, and I was frozen up. So uh, you 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 cut cut off right there when you started to speak. Go ahead and continue your thought there. Many are cold if you're frozen. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it was called Hell's Best Kept Secret, but I gave it that title because Satan doesn't want the church to take hold of the key that unlocks the door of revival. And that's the key. It is a schoolmaster to bring sinners to Christ. And publishers didn't like the title when they gave it to them. When I wrote the book, Hell's Best Kept Secret, they said, no, no, we've got one here watering down the gospel. To me, that sounded insipid. It sounded lukewarm and horrible. So I gave them something like 72 alternative titles. And after three or four months, they came back and said, hey, we suddenly like Hell's Best Kept Secret. And they chose that title. It's applicable because the enemy doesn't want the church to stumble on this. And I went for 10 years preaching the cure without mentioning the disease. That's in essence what you do. When you preach the gospel 
and you don't proceed it with a law which Spurgeon said you must do, which uh, Moody said you must do, Wesley and Whitfield said you must proceed the gospel with a law or it won't make sense. And it doesn't make sense. The Bible says the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. If I came up to you and I said, excuse me, I paid a $1,000 speeding ticket on your behalf, you'd probably say, get out of my face. Go away. Don't be silly. I haven't got a $1,000 speeding ticket. That doesn't make sense. The good news of me paying a fine for you makes no sense when you don't realize you've violated the law. But I came up to you and says, oh, this police officer just clocked you going uh, 70 miles an hour through a blind children's convention that said 10 miles an hour was the maximum speed. There's a $1,000 fine. You can't pay You're going to prison. You say, whoa, what did I do? That's okay. I paid the fine for you. Then you're, going to, then you're going to embrace it. You're going to say, oh, thank you so much. I understand what you've just done. Why? Because you've understood you've violated the law. Now someone paying the fine makes sense. And when a sinner doesn't understand he's violated God's law, he's lusted, lied, stolen, fornicated, coveted, blasphemed God's name, when he doesn't understand how serious that is, he's not going to appreciate the cross, Christ paying the fine for us. <clears throat> you know, something I explain to sinners, and I find this, very, very beneficial. I build up to it, I back up and say, hey, you an educated person? They say, yeah, very educated. I say, do you know what's the world's biggest selling book of all time? They say, no, I don't. So it's the Bible. I say, oh, it's the Bible. Mm. So are you familiar with that famous Bible story uh, where the rich young ruler came to Jesus, said, what must I do for eternal life? Are you familiar with that Bible verse? It's very famous. The wages of sin is death. They say, no, I never heard of it. So, well, yeah, death is wages that God's giving to you for your sins. He's paying you in death for your sin. Sin is so serious in God's eyes, he's given you capital punishment. Like a judge sees a heinous criminal that's raped three girls and then murdered them. He says, you've earned the death sentence. You have earned the electric chair. This is what we're paying you. This is your wages. And sin is so deadly serious to God, he's paid us in death. The soul that sins shall die. That widens the eyes of sinners and they say, whoa, what, what should I do? I know I've now, I understand I've lied and stolen. And I say, you've earned your wages, but God's rich in mercy. And Jesus paid the fine on that cross. You can leave the courtroom on judgment day. Death can be taken off you because Jesus paid the fine in his life's blood and uh, rose from the dead, defeated death. And all you need to do is so simple. A child can understand it. Repent. Turn from sin. Don't say I'm a Christian, but you lie and steal and fornicate. That's playing the hypocrite. Be sincere. And then trust in Jesus like you trust a parachute. And you've got God's promise. If you do that, the ground you have a lasting life and God cannot lie. Amen. And, you know, we're, we're in this time where they're pushing a vaccine and stuff. We've had so many shows where we're dealing with that and, and doctors who really are showing what's going on. But I think there's an excellent uh, example of that. We did when I was at Nicene Council. Uh, and you may be familiar with Eric Holmberg. Uh, he did the the talk there in Amazing Grace, the History and Theology of Calvinism. We did a little vignette there in which he had a guy going out in the parking lot. And he says, hey, I've got the cure for, I don't, I forget what it was, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And all the people going like, okay, great, great, good for you. And he keeps telling it, and nobody's interested because nobody has non-Hodgkin's, you know, this, this lymphoma deal. <clears throat> and then we change it over to where this doctor is talking with a, with a patient whom they have confirmed has this non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And the guy's all distraught. And he says, 
but we have a cure. With one dose of this, you can be cured. And, of course, it's a vignette, but the guy is saying, that's the best news I could ever hear. This is what I hear you saying. So many people say, well, Jesus is here to you know, fix your broken toys or you know, fix all this and that and the other. But it's not an issue of you know, what Paul gives us in Ephesians 2. We're dead in our sins. We're dead. We need somebody to resurrect us. We're not just sick and in need of some medicine. We're dead in our sins. We need somebody to resurrect us, to give us life. And who better than the one who said he is the way, the truth, and the life, and the resurrection, than to present them that. But we can't do that until we allow the law to slay us, to to shut our mouths before him to hear the good news of salvation. And I, I can't understand why people think that is some form of, you know, the term is legalism, that somehow we're doing works. No, we're not doing works. We do works, Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, because Christ has raised us from the dead, because God has been rich in mercy and quickened us. He has made us alive in him. And uh, over and over, I'm, I'm sure you have the same thing over the years. You've had to untangle people's thinking where they think that's some kind of work salvation. No, the work is the work of God to make man alive in order to glorify him, to change his want. You, you talked in the video we had a minute ago, you talked to that young man about he changes your desires, he changes your want to. And I think that's something that Martin Luther hit on too, that, that when the work of God takes place, he takes out the heart of stone, he puts in a heart of flesh. We have a new desire, a new will, and that is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Yeah, most people uh, gloss over the uh, thief on the cross and say, oh, he just gave his heart to Jesus on the cross. No, he didn't. He repented. He turned to Jesus. He was nailed to the cross, couldn't go anywhere, couldn't do any works because the cross was uh, holding him there because he had violated the law. Uh, When he turned to the other thief and said, this man is here unjustly, but we deserve this. I don't think he was talking about Roman law. I mean, we're being crucified for theft. I mean, that's, that's taken a little extreme. But he said, I think he was referring to God's law. Uh, you shall not steal. He knew he had violated that law. And he turned to Jesus and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Uh, that was the beginning of his wonderful plan. You know, those that say God has a wonderful plan for your life. When he came to Christ and he repented, put his trust in Jesus, then the wonderful plan kicked in. He died a, a death on the cross that was a horror beyond words because the soldiers came and broke his legs. And I've had a broken arm when I was a kid and it hurt so much I couldn't cry. It was horrifically painful. Imagine what it is like having a soldier with a spear break both of your legs so you suffocate to death. That's the wonderful plan. Tell Stephen about the wonderful plan as he's being stoned to death. It takes about 15 minutes. I remember reading in Time magazine to stone someone to death. What a horror beyond words. So look at the fox. Fox's Book of Martyrs. Look at James, lost his head. And so becoming a Christian means you do suffer for his namesake, tribulation, temptation, persecution, and everlasting life. So I can handle the first three because I've got the fourth. I've got everlasting life, and death has no hold on me. And though I go through trials, fiery trials, one after the other, they cause me to cling closer to Jesus because I'm not going to throw away a parachute because the flight gets bumpy. I'm going to cling tighter to it. Amen. I had a a guy years ago, and this was after I'm talking about listening to you, and uh, he presented to the the youth group that was gathered together. He said, you know, I went on a skiing trip, and there was a young man and a young young lady that was on that trip, and we all took the lift up, and the young girl was all excited. She was in between him and the the young man, 
And she was saying, oh, you know, we just come up here and Jesus forgives us of our sin and, and everything's just great. You know, she's, I guess, valley girl kind of talk or whatever. And the guy's looking on the other side around her while she's talking to him. The guy's going, and he goes, like he knows what the guy's talking about. And the girl gets off and she goes, bye. And she goes skiing down the hill and he just, he just remarks to the crowd, no skiing on the lake of fire. And I remember that that struck me so hard because that was the gospel that that I had embraced that I had seen in the scripture that 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 wasn't like that it was it was calling you to something it was calling you away from something it was calling you to something else and that was to to glorify God because of the sacrifice of Christ. How do we help churches? We got about two minutes here. How do we help these these pastors? I want to say many of them are hirelings. Some of them. Well, I can't say because I believe that we that we are led by the Spirit of God. But some of these guys, they get so entrenched in, i got to keep my job, I can't say too much. When are we going to confront some of those in the church to preach the true gospel that saves men? Yeah, it's just like I said before, lack of fear of God. Jesus said, fear not him who has power to kill your body and afterwards do no, no more. But fear him who has power to kill your body and cast your soul into hell. Fear him. You know, I think one way for the church to get back to biblical evangelism is just watch our YouTube channel. It's completely free. And you can see again and again, atheists backslide, hardened sinners come to the cross because it's being done biblically. And when you see it again and again, it will actually equip you. It's not an entertainment. One guy wrote on our comment section the other day, he said, you've been saying the same thing for 10 years. Now to correct him, it's not for 10 years, it's for 40 years. I haven't changed at all. It's the same gospel, 2,000 years. Let me just show you, show you how I get uh, people listening. Um, this is my dog. His name is Sam. He comes out with me on my bike wearing sunglasses. I wear sunglasses. And we can approach anyone and get an interview because that is the best bait you can get when you go fishing for men, a dog. If you haven't got a dog, get a dog because dogs are a great way to uh, start a spark a conversation with a complete stranger. So, uh, our YouTube channel is uh, uh, a very exciting tool for people to learn how to share their faith because uh, it's fascinating to see people's reactions. Amen. All right. I, I apologize for that. It came up playing uh, while I was scrolling there to bring up the YouTube channel. We got about 20 seconds here. You also got the site, uh, livingwaters.com. Tell people where they can find out more about you and uh, what you guys are doing. About 20 seconds. Very kind of you. At the bottom of livingwaters.com, you can listen to Hell's Best Skip Secret, True and False Conversion. Scroll to the bottom. We've got free email newsletter and a lot of stuff you can get, a lot of stuff free. We've also got the Evidence Bible, which is a, a very equipping Bible. Just click on store, books, and the Evidence Bible to check it out. Okay. All right. Ray Comfort, thank you for your time, man. It's great to finally talk with you. Appreciate what you're doing for the kingdom, and uh, God bless you and all that you've done. I hope there will be a lot of people who will hear this message They'll repent. They'll know the Jesus that we know. Guys, 23 Hours will be back with you. See you.